here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey, lovers. Like, damn, this episode hit some nuances that might be what's affecting your sex life and you didn't even know it. (laughs) Sex isn't as straightforward as we might put pressure on ourselves to believe. And great sex takes time in demystifying and reconstructing concepts, narratives, skills. So here I put some of these questions to Court Vox, who does an amazing somatic work with individuals of all genders, teaching them to come back into relationship with a body to understand the internal cues that make or break our experience. So we talk about what to do when you're too tired, quote unquote, for sex and the pressure that comes with the belief that sex has to require a lot of energy. It doesn't. But because of this, this constructed idea of what we identify as sex to be, we're, we're putting way more pressure on ourselves and, and really narrowing the infinite possibilities here for us. We also talk about unconscious power dynamic roles that occur in and out of the bedroom, which <laughs> I get to share a vulnerable experience from my own personal love life. Lucky you. <laughs> and this is something that I see happens so often uh, that can be an underlying culprit to the loss of desire for sex. And we don't know why. So here it is. And before we get to court, sex has an infinite potential for formation, expression, journey, even the potential to take you into transcendent states of consciousness. I don't want you to settle for boring sex. I want you to have sex that leaves you feeling so deeply satiated and heart full. And that's why I created my upcoming program, Sex Love Psychedelics. In this seven-week course, I go into practices of energetic trance states in sex, BDSM, psychedelic harm reduction practices, and the science of your orgasms. So if you've been feeling that your sex life could be so much more, (laughs) I want to share this with you. If you want to know when we open for enrollment, then be sure to click the link in the show notes and sign up for notifications. All right, my lovers, I am so excited to share with you right now. Today is Valentine's Day and my Valentine is... (laughs) The beautiful Cork Vox, who I don't know if he consensually allowed me to say that he's my Valentine. Wow, I'm excited. Yes. Pat Meyer is my Valentine. (laughs) Everyone's jealous now. No, I'm jealous. You can be jealous of me. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, just let it tickle your heart. It'll tickle, (laughs) tickle through your body. Feeling of jealousy. (laughs) So... Court Vox is a certified sex and intimacy coach, surrogate partner intern, and sacred intimate based coach. He's the founder of the Body Vox and the co founder of Squirm. And I, when I met him, I'm delightful to have you on here, first of all. <laughs> it's good to be here. Good to see you. 
When I first met him at a, um, it was a sex therapist and coach uh, gathering where we were all networking and getting to know each other. And we just turned and we were like instantly in this playful chemistry, like vibe. I don't, I don't even know what was happening, but I, for, for me, I don't know about for you, but literally the rest of the room just kind of dissolved. And it was just our conversation for a really long time. We vortex there for a while. I love that. I love that feeling of just like, nope, nobody else is here. Yeah. And I feel like that, you know, like, I think that can be very much applied to sex too. This concept of like, you know, dropping so deeply into presence and focus and interest and intrigue with the other person that everything just kind of, yeah, dissolves away behind us. So you've actually named one of my personal kinks. Ooh. Attention, paying attention. Tell me more. I'm here. I'm listening. <laughs> you know, so, so you named this like extreme focus and attention and how that has the capacity to just kind of like blow out the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I, I'm in um, erotic space with somebody and I know that I have their full attention and they're paying attention to what I'm saying, what I'm asking, what I'm doing, it's just very hot. Yeah. What do you think that is? I, you know, I think it's, it's like a, for me, it's a connection thing because I am paying attention. Yeah. I know I'm paying attention. And when I met in that attention space, it's very, um, feels like, Hmm, this person can play here with me. Yeah. They can play. There's like a depth. There's a, it's almost like the concept of desire. You know, if somebody's purely present, with you, then they're fully desiring to be there with you. And to me, that's like the safest thing to space to be in when somebody like a hundred million percent desires to be focused and there with you. Yeah. There's something really sexy about that. And, um, yeah, I, I love when people are paying attention and I can like prove it. I like, prove it. Yeah. When I can like ask questions, see if they're paying attention, you know, and it becomes a part of the game. The game. Tell me more. Unfold the game. Um, (laughs) I mean, I like games. I like playfulness. You know, when I'm when I'm playing with um, power dynamics, games are a huge part of 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 how I stay in my erotic endurance and how I stay in erotic connection, because if I didn't have these sort of like tools and and games to pull out and like creativity, really, um, Mm -hmm. I'm making these games up on the fly. Um, and it's like very specific to who I'm, who I'm with, but the games are a way of, you know, I can play games to test people's limits. I can play games to, um, test people's capacity to say yes or say no. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can play with people in games to, test their capacity um, for dirty talk and saying words and phrases that I want to hear that are super vulnerable and hard for them to Mm -hmm. say. Um, So it's like teasing out what I know people want, um, want to do and want to express um, with games. I love this. You know, like, again, like our dynamic when I first met you was very playful. And I think for many people, they might struggle with playfulness because playfulness is super vulnerable. It's very authentic. It's very, it's creative. And how many people get focused on, you know, like the end goal or they get focused on, you know, the productivity that they lose the sight of playfulness. 
So how do you, how do you, um, support, how do you facilitate, how do you inspire people into, you know, being playful? You know, it could come like a lot of different ways. Um, you know, just a game that I play with clients, sometimes animal wrestling. And, um, sometimes I'll use a deck of cards. Sometimes I'll just ask people to pick an animal. Um, and I say, what animal do you want me to be? And they're like, I want you to be a lion. (laughs) I get a lion a lot, like a white lion. (laughs) Great. What are you going to be? I want to be a cheetah. Okay. Uh So we got these two cats and like, how do cats, these wild cats smell each other and how can they circle each other and can they create tension and who's going to win this battle of wrestling? Right. And so it becomes this like movement. How do you move like a lion? How do you move like a, a panther or a cheetah? Yeah. It's sort of like, you know, a getting back into your animal body of like <laughs> feeling yourself move, feeling yourself breathe differently um experience senses differently but also just i mean that's playfulness of like yeah we're not really animals and we are and so it's like tapping into something that's fun and um you know childlike a little bit yeah yeah very childlike mm-hmm. and yet we as adults i think can get caught with this like i'm not supposed to be a child or i'm going to fail at playing if i if i start cuz that's something that's very new How do you, how do you help somebody through that? I think that's the biggest thing that people have fear of is the failure piece. You know, our culture and specifically with children, I'm I'm a father to a 19 year old. And even like when he was growing up, you know, there was this feeling of like, he needed to like have it perfect Mm. um, instead of like actually learning the process to draw a painting or, um, you know, whatever it was, Clado, or there needed to be like, it had to look exactly like the castle. Yeah. No, like we practice, you know, if you think about things as practice rather than um, like that term practice makes perfect, that phrase, Mm -hmm. it doesn't apply to sex actually, because there's so many other factors. Like you, I've practiced my whole life. I've had so many sexual partners. I've had a ton of practice, right? Yeah. And there's still times when I'm with somebody and it's just like the connection is not there or that person's not quite there or I'm in a different place and it just doesn't match. I don't Mm -hmm. go, that was a failure because I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. More like, what can I take from this experience? Like what were sort of the elements that worked? And then also like what, what didn't work? And a lot of times what I find is that if I come out of a situation and I feel like, oh, this didn't go quite like I wanted to, I, I didn't create a, a strong enough container for myself. Mm. I didn't ask enough questions about what that person is potentially into, what they're, um, what they're wanting to get out of our time together. You know, all these things that are actually super important and make it easier when you're actually in physical contact with someone. Um, so there's always a learning. Um, I, I don't look at things as failure. I look at things as like, what can we garner from this um, to do it differently next time? Yeah, I love that. And it's more of like 
constructing more and more clarity around your eroticism or your erotic but also honoring the dynamic nature of who we are in each given moment. Like one Tuesday, we might be more open and free and expressed and bendy. And then Thursday comes around and we're like a little crunchy. (laughs) "Ah." I I think with play too, is that for a lot of people, it is uncomfortable. And like the invitation is wonderful. Yeah. Let yourself be uncomfortable and stay in it. Stay playing with me. If you can, you know, feel one side of yourself being uncomfortable in this activity and also notice some joy or pleasure out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's not about overriding one or the other. It's about listening to all the things that are available and making a choice. Um, mm-hmm. And if you would like to choose to be scared and afraid of making mistakes that's a choice if you would like to choose to be playful and have a silly time that might lead to something sexy that's also a choice which one do you want to choose mm. and it's a constant um re-choosing moment to moment i'm choosing to be here i'm choosing to stay in much like relationship right we're choosing to stay um choosing to you know continue to play the game mm-hmm. which is a very co- uh, complex you know, somatic understanding of the body. Like you can have two different experiences at the same time, two different emotions at the same time. How does one, from your perspective in your work, how does one um, navigate being able to hold both of those and not self-abandon or not, um, you know, do something that that they don't want to do or, does that make sense? Yeah, I think it, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started this around attunement and Mm -hmm. attunement is a consistent practice. Like all of these things are practices. I, you know, I really stress to my clients that, you know, when they come to work with me for three days, I'm like giving them a ton of tools. Mm -hmm. And when they leave, they're going to have to practice them or it's just not going to happen overnight. Right. Um, It's a consistent um, a consistency in the practice, but with attunement, it's noticing your somatic kind of response to things. And also noticing that sometimes I'm just going to name, um, fear and excitement Mm -hmm. in my body when I'm afraid. And when I'm excited, I feel it in my belly. I feel, Mm. um, butterflies in my belly or gurgling. The somatic response to both of those things is very similar and the the actions that are causing them are usually very different. And so it becomes of like when there's a somatic response of those butterflies in my belly, the inquiry that I make as part of the attunement is, am I afraid or am I excited? Mm. And sometimes it's both, right? It's like I use the word nearsighted, like I'm nervous mm. and I'm excited. Like those are two things that are happening for me simultaneously. And then the next question would be, am I safe enough here? Right? Because sometimes we go into like old patterning. Um, We go into um, back to my seven-year-old or my 13-year-old. And that person or that part of me would really need to feel safe to explore. And as this like older body that has experience that knows myself, I say, we are safe here. Actually, this is safe enough. And um, I'm nervous. 
and I'm excited and I'm going to stay. Mm -hmm. Or the other piece of the attunement is that I don't feel safe here at all. And I don't want to question it. I just don't. And it's time for me to leave. Mm -hmm. And that's really powerful too, to be able Mm -hmm. to say, I don't feel safe here. I'm a no. Thank you so much. And I have to go. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And how does one discern between the two of um, this is nervousness, fear that I'm staying and, or this is, if this is fear, no, I'm leaving. That's a great question. (laughs) And a question many of my clients ask me. (laughs) I think it's really um, a personal decision. Um, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes for people that have no sense of attunement, Mm -hmm. sometimes actually saying no to things, even when you want to say yes as a practice, if you're a a yes person, right, is a a really good start. Um, You know, do you want to... Do you want me to touch your back? No, I don't. Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. And even in life, you know, hey, do you want to go to the movies this weekend? Thanks for the invite, but no. Ooh. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not used to saying no. It's it's like it actually physically feels um, wrong when mm-hmm. I'm the person that always says yes, I'm agreeable. I'm I override my um, feelings of this doesn't feel quite right or this is not for me. And so I just say yes, because I want to be liked. I want to be loved. I, I, you know, want to be whatever it is. Um, so the practice of saying no is, is, a, is an important practice. Mm-hmm. The practice of saying no. And what I hear you say is um, even practicing, noticing what happens in the body. Yeah. When you say that to build that skill. Yeah. And sometimes it's even like, you know, in my, my work with clients, sometimes I'll say, how was it to say no, even when you wanted to say yes? Like, mm. what, what did that feel like? Because a lot of times we're like, what does it feel like to say yes when you meant no? Like, that's a common thing we talk about. Yeah. But oftentimes we keep ourselves from experiences and situations and people um, when we really want to say yes. That really hot guy or that really hot girl asks us out and we're like, our immediate answer is no. And then it's like, I really wanted to say yes, but the fear of, you know, going out with this person who I, I project is better than me or better looking than me or more successful is mm-hmm. keeping me from the yes. Mm-hmm. And so it's also noticing just like how that feels somatically in the body as a practice. So mm-hmm. when I'm working with clients, that is a question of, um, you know, how did it feel to say no when you really wanted to say yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So as a way to really develop this relationship with your internal landscape of, of who you are, uh, but also like to even fine tune your ability for consent. You know, I think consent is such a word that's being talked about in our culture. Thank the Lord. (laughs) But it's still, I think it's still a lexicon that people are trying to understand and figure out the nuances because Mm -hmm. there are times where we say yes, but we meant no. And then after the fact, we feel like emptiness in our body or we feel really sad the next day or we feel um, chaotic or, or disorganized inside of our bodies. And so for somebody to be like, well, I don't, I gave consent, but it wasn't like a, a, an embodied consent. Yeah. 
I think, you know, something we've been talking a little bit about, and we're still flushing it out, and we're at Back to the Body, and, you know, there's a team of educators that are constantly talking, and, and Pamela Madsen, who leads that company, um, is really great about kind of bringing concepts to the group that we all discuss. And one of the discussions recently was what comes before consent, right? Mm. Is how can you consent to something when you don't know what it is, right? Mm. So it's like, um, I would you like me to spank you? Well, um, my initial answer is no. And I've never been spanked before. So mm-hmm. I don't know what that feels like or if I will like it or if I won't like it. Well, is there any kind of charge for you? Does that feel any sort of way? Does it feel exciting? Does it feel like if you saw it, that that excites you or, or gets you aroused? A little bit. Great. Why don't, what if we try it? What if we try it and you are in control of how hard I go and you're in control of when I stop. So if you would like me to stop, just say red, use your safe word. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just keep increasing the intensity of the spanking until it gets to a point where it's enough for you. And you could just say red or enough, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's giving people a voice and also giving people a, an opportunity to try things um, that have a lot of like cultural and social weight to them um, that don't need to. Like I could take spanking into a, a power dynamic or a BDSM kind of um, role play scene, or it could just be a sensation that somebody really likes. Mm-hmm. Like that sensation of impact is really pleasurable without the narrative or out the story or out the context, right? Um, I, I did I answer your question? No, this is beautiful. So it's it's really giving yourself permission and your partner permission to slow everything down, to slow everything down and get clear, perhaps even before you get into sex or even in the middle of it. You know, I think we can get fixated on this definition of sex is like you get started and you go it's off to the races, you go, you, you try to go for the orgasm, right? And you just don't stop. You're like, bang, 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 bang. but yeah. then, you know, like here it's like, oh, let's, let's pause. Ooh, let's try something. Let's, let's, um, what do you mean by that? And I, and it's almost like we don't give ourselves permission to be able to, to do that. Yeah. Um, this isn't another, when I was talking about games before I, I've been talking, um, I'm actually recording some online courses next week. And one of the things that I'm talking about is frameworks and frameworks for me are little kind of moments of examples or games um, or archetypes of ways that we can stay in erotic connection for longer, right? Because to your point, we have this very uh, like upward linear um, thought of what sex is going to look like, which is, Mm -hmm we kiss a little bit. Mm-hmm. We, we might blow each other and then do some cunnilingus and then fuck, and then it's over. Right. And that can last, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour. Mm-hmm. But if you want to stay in a connection with somebody for three hours, like your answer to that would be like, Oh, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when I'm, uh, when I'm working with clients, I am taking them through an experience and afterwards, I say, how, do you, how long do you think we were in there? How long we were in that experience? I said, I don't know, like an hour, hour 15. And I say, it was three hours. That was three hour session. Wow. I didn't even know that I was capable of like doing that. 
but it is because there is no rush to the finish line. Mm -hmm. Like the actual main intention is pleasure and play. And the orgasm is like an icing on the cake if it happens. And sometimes it can be really fun not to. And that can be a game too. Sure enough, denying your partner for them to come. (laughs) You cannot come until I say so. (laughs) Super hot. You can't come today at all. Tomorrow, uh-huh. maybe yeah. if you do a good job today, you can come tomorrow. <laughs> oh my God, Cord, I'm so turned on right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the same. You know, and then, you know, when you take orgasm off the table or you take ejaculation off the table, you know, there's, there's no destination really. Mm-hmm. You get to decide when things end <laughs> and they don't have to. Like you could carry out that whole scene all night wake up the next morning and say, it's time. It's time for what? It's time. You get to orgasm now. Oh. Right. Or do you want that still? Yeah. Yeah. You do. You do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you want it? You just, you were so good. You listened, you paid attention. Such right. a good girl. I'm such a good girl. Court. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then you get your cookie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You even use the word orgasm in there. You're not having an orgasm. And I think the word orgasm is, again, this this word that we've defined as, uh, you know, genital contractions that happen, you know, six to 10 times. And that's and that's it. But I've, you know, working with um, uh, well, men and women, really all genders um, and teaching them that orgasm can be this flutter of the body, like an energetic mm-hmm. buzz of the body, or it can be just high peaks of arousal that last for a really long time. And yeah. a number of people that are like, that can be an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but we've like narrowed this image of what it is. But some of my most actually hands down, my best sexual experiences was just me at these high peaks of arousal where it's white lightning and I can't see or understand. I'm like disoriented and, and, but deeply focused and present. And, and that lasts for like, yeah, a re- an hour <laughs> or more. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, what you're talking about is like high arousal or peak, peak arousal, which is like that place that's at maybe like a nine. Yeah. Right. And, and te- if 10 were when you flip over into ejaculation um, or orgasm, you know, keeping yourself at a nine, you know, that takes some level of consciousness, too, of I'm going to stay here with my mm-hmm. breath, with my focus, with movement. Also, if I feel myself tipping over, like I don't want to go there yet. So I'm going to come back down. I'm going to regulate my nervous system. I'm going to stop, you know, touching my genitals for a minute. And maybe like rest, have a little rest period, do something else, like do another activity, switch things up and then go back, go back to it and get it back up to a nine again. It's edging, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's some people that call it like peaking mm-hmm. when women are kind of um, doing this, like, yeah, it's like a little mini roller coaster. of just like up and down, up and down. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, it's like these little flutters. Um, I also, you know, just working with women, what I, what I know about female orgasm is that it looks so different for everybody. 
And yeah. you know, some people have ejaculation, some people have these huge things, and then other people's orgasm looks like what I just named, which mm-hmm. is really small peaks and valleys. And they're not having those really like, <gasps> like mm-hmm. what we call a sneeze where it goes up the elevator and then crashes down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they're having something that's like a little more consistent. And so I think we are always seeing in media and TV, you know, these like explosive things. And sometimes that's just not it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think these these definitions really do limit the infinite possibility of what sex can be like. Like mm-hmm. you're describing this very journey Um a journey image of sex as ebb and flow and change and, and, and high and then low and then stop and rest and breathe. And, and I love that. It's just, it, this, this, I don't know why the word amoeba. <laughs> like amoeba that just pops around, like consumes us. I don't know. That's We're going to play animal wrestling with amoebas. You're going to be an amoeba. I'll be an amoeba. I'm so into this. We found a new fetish. Yes. Amoeba sex. sex. (laughs) (laughs) And we, and we create, we procreate by cell division. (laughs) Perfect. I love it. We'll start our own online group. I'm into it. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, like this, this whole concept of, yeah, it's like, um, sex being this journey. It's like, follow the pleasure, letting pleasure be your compass rather than letting the orgasm be the compass or the, you know, the, again, socially constructed idea of what orgasm is to be the compass. Um, it also gives a lot of like grace, I think of depending on where you're at with your own personal energy levels. Um, I see one of the biggest complaints that I get in with couples who are complaining around um, sexual desire discrepancies, or even with, um, you know, I've had partners in the past say that they don't want to have sex because um, they don't have the energy to, or the stamina for sex. And I'm like, I mean, sex doesn't have to have be a lot of energy. It can, and it can even build from very subtle energy movements or subtle, you know, like less activity that builds an intensity of feeling. But I think there's, there's such this idea that sex, yeah, it has to require a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. A lot of couples that I work with, there is a discrepancy in desire or desire pathways. And sometimes, you know, there is one that's like ready to go at any time, which is mm-hmm. great. And the other one just needs a little more zhuzh. They need, you know, some setup. They need candles. They need music. They need to be invited. And it can be a lot for that person who's always ready to go to make the invitation always to be the asker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's tough. Um, and sometimes, you know, as a coach, my invitation is you guys switch roles. Since you're the one that always is asking, it's you that's going to be the asker this time. And giving it that five minutes of I'm not in the mood, but the question really is, could you be in the mood? Um, Because look, we all have really busy days and there's a lot going on. There's children involved in people's homes. And I think what happens is it's the last, it's the last thing to be on the list is sex and erotic connection. And it's such an important part of our wellness. Um, 
and the way that a couple stay connected to each other, that it needs to be made a priority. Um, and it doesn't always need to look like um, penis in a hole sex. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. Need that. Sometimes it can be like, hey, I don't have the energy to involve my body, um, but I could give you my body. My body is for you. You can touch mm-hmm. me. You can fuck me. You can do whatever you want with my body. I'm opening myself to you mm-hmm. as a gift. Does that feel good for you? Okay, I'll try. You know, and in the middle of it, I might be like, ooh, this is kind of hot. Mm-hmm. And get into it or not. And I, you know, upheld my end of the bargain. Mm-hmm. Or I tried. Um, you know, I think, again, there's that feeling of when you're always asking and the person is like, I'm tired. No, yeah. like yeah. It's, it's harder and harder to ask. Right. And so yeah. just noting, like, I, I, I'm not in the mood, but I'm going to give it a try. Like, yeah. Can we just make out? It's like the, the yes. And yes, I will. And I'm not into getting fucked by you tonight. Yeah. Yes, and I only have energy for X, Y, and Z. I love that. Yeah. And so it's, it's giving options instead of a closed door. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I've had a couple of times in the past where partners gave me a leg to grind on or gave me a hand to do whatever I wanted to on it. And I love that because it is them, you know, and then we turned it into this, well, you're my slutty little sex toy because Uh I get to use you. But again, it's them tuning into uh, what their boundary of what they're available for. And it's not a black or white, you know, decision. It's not a I'm too tired, therefore you can't, but uh, this is how much I'm available for. And that's it. And I think there's also like what you just said is you created a game out of it, which is you became a sex doll or a sex (laughs) And, you know, for people that are like, well, I'm not going to get off if there's no responsiveness, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of responsiveness into being still and being quiet as a doll. That is is an active, active role. Mm It does. And it's consenting too. like you're consenting to allow your body to be used in that way. And there's something really, um, you know, the the power dynamic there is equal because you're agreeing full body agreeing to a yes in that situation. Um, And again, you're co-creating how much of your body is used or or what that, you know, what that looks like, what that means. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah I love that game. that's one of my favorite games. <laughs> yeah, I like that game too. <laughs> and it also brings up a thought for me too, this this idea of um, power dynamics and sex, because sometimes, um, you know, that is a great example of like equal power dynamics in sex and how often we can enter into consensual power dynamics, you know, like in BDSM or kink, where we're like, you're the top, I'm the bottom, you're the dom, I'm the sub or whatever. Um, but there's also unconscious power dynamics and that we can enter into in sex. And yeah. one that's coming to my mind is, you know, for me being a, and probably for you too, um, being sex experts here, you know, um, we've spent a lot of time cultivating this, this, um, this ability in ourselves, our relationship to our eroticism and to our sexual bodies and, um, people that, that I date, it can bring up a lot of insecurities or can bring up, um, not feeling adequate enough or not feeling like they'd be able to match me or this, that, or the other. 
And so I'd love to talk about, yeah, these roles of these unconscious power dynamics and how might we might be able to create, you know, equal playing ground or what we do with that. So, uh, so if, if I'm just talking about like heterosexual couples, you know, there is inherently a, a power dynamic between men and women just in general. Um, and, you know, it doesn't mean in that relationship that the woman may be not more powerful in the relationship, but in like the societal realm and, and the way that um, like the way that men and women are looked at, the man is supposed to be this powerful um, strong, aggressive, dominant person. And the woman is supposed to be the submissive one in surrender. And a lot of times, like I, I work with a lot of men, straight and gay, who are like, that's not them. Right. And mm -hmm. I also have worked with women who are like, that's my jam. Right. And so it's like understanding roles and they like these kind of scripts that have been placed upon us. Um, they're really in a binary place. Um, and they really like do a disservice to us. Um, but to speak a little bit about kind of the expectations and some of the things that you deal with as a sex educator, I feel like I deal with it in a little different way in that I, there, I feel a lot of pressure and a high expectation to deliver mm -hmm. in my personal relationships. Um, and I have to constantly ask myself if this is for me. Um, and if the answer is no, then that's not the right person for me to play with. Mm -hmm. um, because otherwise I'm working. Yeah. And I work a lot and I love it. And I also need to have something for myself as a replenisher. Right. Mm -hmm. And not to say that, um, you know, there is constantly, um, an evolving, um, an existing pleasure loop in the work that I do, which is why I do it. I love it. Um, and also, um, you know, I don't always want to be a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, as we even extend it beyond ourselves too, because yeah, I, you know, I've seen myself in both of those roles over the years, um, and roles that I don't, that I'm not consenting to go into, but I think because of this, the image of, of me being who I am or whatever, it's, it's, the, it's there. Um, yeah. so can I, can I say one more thing about this, like kind of unconscious power dynamics? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think, you know, in a way, these things that I'm going to name are obvious, but sometimes they go unchecked, uh, you know, depending on this, um, the socioeconomic agreements between partners, there might be one, there's always one that makes more money um, than the other. And is one of them dependent on the other, right? Is the one working and then one is at home, you know, taking care of things? Um, or are there two workers in the family, but one is um, making quite a bit more money? Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the question becomes, how can we make this more equitable? Mm -hmm. um, and consciously looking like, how is this affecting our sex life? Because mm -hmm. I can guarantee that it is in some way. Um, and how do you balance it in other ways where everybody feels like they have an, an equitable piece in the relationship? And that's challenging sometimes um, and something that needs a level of consciousness to, to even name it. Um, there's also, you know, I'm in an interracial um, couple. My partner is from Honduras and um, he's not from America. English is his second language. He's an immigrant. 
um, and just noticing a, a power dynamic that exists there um, and the opportunities that I had, you know, as a seven-year-old and who he was and where he was and what he was doing at seven, right? Like night and day, our lives were night and day. And so recognizing my privilege and also um, my privilege now and how how can I use that to elevate him and, you know, give him things that he maybe didn't have when he was younger um, or doesn't have the money for now mm-hmm. uh, as a way to say, I, I believe in you. Mm-hmm. I believe in your growth and your learning and I want it for you. Mm-hmm. And that's not always sexual. That's sometimes relational. Mm-hmm. But as we see, you know, some of these relational things do impact our, our sex life and, and vice versa. Like Absolutely. these things aren't, don't exist in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think like, I think there's something to be said too, around even bringing up the, the conversation and bringing conscious awareness to the power dynamics. You know, I, um, for me in some of these relationships, it is expressing Yes, I am Dr. Cat, and I've spent this time learning these things, but I'm not in that role here. And I'm not, um, I want to play, I want to explore. I, I don't want to be put on a pedestal to have pressure to have to bring, you know, and teach and do, or or that you know, you have to match me or whatever it is. Um, but then there's also can be a conscious awareness of of um let me be the teacher and you be the student or let you be the teacher this time and and I be your student and teach me about your what turns you on also a fun game <laughs> <laughs> let me get my glasses on let me exactly. have my little ruler tell me, tell me teach me <laughs> I'd be a sexy teacher. That's yeah, what's really good. To yeah. <laughs> come yeah. into my office. <laughs> yeah, step into my office. Yeah. But again, I think it has to have that co- that conversation to bring that into awareness and both people choosing into those roles versus, you know, when it's unconscious, it's like you're not choosing into the role, but you're acquiescing to it. And that may not feel right. I mean, there's actually ways to like play with that in transgression too. Mm. Uh, you know, in our life, you are the breadwinner and you are the powerful executive or the powerful doctor or the, the writer, whoever you are. And, mm-hmm. um, in the bedroom, you're mine, you're mine. Oh. What? <laughs> you can be whoever you want. So this phrase, and I actually, this is an Instagram post I'll post soon, but this is a phrase that um, someone said to me, and I won't name who, um, but they said, I'm not submissive. I am submissive to you. And it mm. was like, oof, that feels really fucking good. Yeah. Really, you know, and it's like acknowledging that in the world, I'm not a submissive human and I'm actually powerful. And even in the bedroom, I'm not submissive, but to you I'm yours. Oh God, that's, that's a fun game. It's a fun game. <laughs> and it's transgressive because, you know, in life, they are not. They are mm-hmm. powerful and, um, you know, do not easily surrender. Mm-hmm. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to, to surrender into someone else's arms where you go, I can turn off my brain. Mm-hmm. I can 
stop thinking. I can stop making decisions. I can allow myself to let go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in kink, it's like that too. You're consciously choosing into playing smallness or playing submitting or playing the role of bigness or playing the role of like being domineering or mean or a bitch or whatever it is so that you can't, don't have to play that out in real life. Like you don't have to play small in the world. You can play small in the bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. I, um, so I, we were talking about this a little bit before, but I was, I've just read Existential Kink and um, we were, we've been doing some work at Back to the Body with shadow work and taking shadow work and what we've been mining there, taking it into sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been incredibly healing and informative and just kind of like a, a sight to behold of like just how fun it can be to play with your shadows when you're doing it in a conscious way. Can you give us an example of how you play with your shadow? With my shadow? <laughs> hmm Ooh. Well, I, ooh, this might be too much information, but I, I'm a true sadist. Like, I can think back to maybe six or seven and, huh? like, feeling my evilness. Whoa. And for me it's like I've all, I've always been really blonde and blue-eyed and like I always got this very nobody expected that from me yeah and that's also kind of hot for me is the like he's the good guy he yeah never hurt a fly and you know for I didn't hurt anybody but I loved yeah. to play doctor like, uh-huh. was that kid that was over at your house and was like let's play doctor and they'd be like, can I, I need to go ask my dad. Be like, no, 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 don't, don't ask your dad. <laughs> <laughs> they come back and they're like, my dad said no. And your mom's on her way to pick you up. <laughs> oh my goodness. But I, but I think for me, like that's a shadow for me. And uh-huh. playing with it is, is super hot to, mm-hmm. allow, to allow myself specifically with um, another human that is a masochist and enjoys that, um, to be able to play with that is like a true thrill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to even emphasize too, as a child, like how, how evil is a child actually, you know, their, their ability to be innocent in their play and their exploration and their, you know, things that feel good and pleasurable, um, is, is a really important context to remember for, you know, around that too. But, you know, where do some of these parts develop is childhood yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I guess so thank you for the the correction and the the feedback um but I guess I would go back to I was just very curious yeah I was just so curious and I remember like my first kind of I don't even know if it would be sexual but like a genital experience with someone else is I had a neighbor and we used to give each other blowjobs on the side of my house and it was we were like three yeah and it was like you know, it wasn't anything more than just like being really curious and also like feeling the pleasure of it and like just being in the experiment. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's important for us to have those conversations, you know, it, um, publicly with people too, because, you know, through the adult eyes, when we look back at our childhood, we could look at some of these experiences and we're like, oh my God, I did something wrong. I violated somebody. I violated myself, whatever. And, but then to think through the eyes of a child, it's completely innocent and it's, it's totally different. And so how much are we putting, you know, um, yeah, these, um, meanings through adult eyes and forgetting that that's, that's not the same as, as a child eyes. It is, we all explore <laughs> the, the, you know, that's, that's a part of being a sexual being mm-hmm. and being young and curious without the inhibitions and the social judgments. Yeah. And I, I think that's something like for parents to really consider is yeah. when they're looking at a situation to look at it through a child's eyes instead of putting their adult lens on it. Yeah. Because um, I'll, so I'll give an example. Um, when my son was, he was like six or seven, we got invited to go to a pool um, as on a play date with a friend. And I'm talking to his mother and she said, we'd love to have you over for a swim date. And I said, great, we'd love to come. And she said, I just want to ask you not to wear a banana hammock. And I, I was like, wow, you know, there's already this like um, prejudice of me as a, as a queer dad, that that would be how I would show up, but also that that would be an issue for children, which it's not, they could give a fuck if you're wearing a speedo or pants to the pool, if anything, they'll they'll make fun of you for wearing both. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> you know. So again, it was like the lens of adulthood and putting like her narrative around something that just like meant nothing to mm-hmm. the children at the pool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if kids are kids are curious, they might ask questions. And then again, it's how we hold our energy and how we respond to it. Yeah. I think that's the same with, you know, raising kids to be sex positive. It's, it's like the way that you educate and talk to them um, versus creating shame or pressure in your voice or, or freezing or, you know, all these other sim- symbols that designate to them that something's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, this is so such juicy conversation with you. I have a couple of questions from our audience if you're open yeah. to that. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So the first question, um, my partner had an episiotomy. <laughs> I always get that. Um, so, it, yep, that's it. That's <laughs> So <laughs> when, um, during childbirth, you know, when you're, when you're, um, cut to help with, um, the delivery of the baby, um, but at times they struggle to feel each other during sex. So tips on helping them. So maybe some clarity around the question is the question about the episiotomy or is it like the, the, they're having a hard time connecting during sex? Uh, I mean, it just says at times we struggle to feel each other during sex. So I, since they gave a physical mm-hmm. reason, I'm assuming this is a, this is a physical answer. Okay. So I'm going to actually give two answers. I'm going to give the physical answer and then I'm going to give a more energetic answer. Beautiful. Okay. So from a physical standpoint, you know, when we do have surgeries like that, um, a lot of times there is scar tissue and sometimes there is um, varying sensation in that mm-hmm. area. And even in the area surrounding it, because what happens to scar tissue is it gets really tight and the fibers kind of um, fold over each other Mm -hmm. and it pulls, it pulls on the nerves. And so 
you know, there's scar tissue remediation, which is a thing of using castor oil. Um, that is not a specialty of mine, but mm-hmm. someone like Ellen Heed, who's an expert in that, um, certainly could be able to help. Um, and there's others, but um, also just, you know, taking your partner's hand and feeling there and maybe doing like a, a genital mapping of what mm-hmm. did you feel like here on the scar and around it or here and just noticing like the sensations that are present. And even if the sensation is numbness, like that's a great noticing too. It's like, yeah. it's numb there. It's like, well, what if I push a little harder? Is it still mm-hmm. numb? Oh, I can feel the pressure, but I don't feel like the top sensation. Mm-hmm. Okay, what if I just tickle it? Can you feel that? No, but I don't feel that. So just kind of, you know, exploring, being curious about the area. You know, a lot of times when we have um, issues like scarring, we stay away from it, right? Don't touch it, it hurts, or don't go there, it's ugly, or whatever it is that we have with the scar tissue. And it's like giving a little attention to the wound and also hearing what it has to say. Mm. Is there any words or sounds? And this is something that an exercise that I do with people um, called body poem, which is, are there any words or sounds coming from this part of your body or this part? And it's amazing what people say, like sometimes it's like blue, uh, tickly, I feel nothing. Wow. You know, just like it's the free flow of what's coming out. And then to actually hear it back, it's like it has meaning for them. It might mean nothing to me, but when they hear it back, it's like, ooh, I had no idea that Mm -hmm. my scar tissue felt blue or felt tickly or whatever it is. Yeah. There's some exploration around sensation and also noticing what stories come up there, what words, what colors are present. Um, Just being curious with that. I think if it's an energetic question of we're not being able to feel each other, I would say slow, 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 slow down, slow down. Um, Even of just like, you know, we talked about animal wrestling earlier of smelling and just mm-hmm. like being with each other's faces and just exploring what it feels like to feel like my beard on your face or like my lips go past your nose or my breath on your neck. Just getting into a really like somatic, slow space of actually, we're not even going to get to genitals today. This is about connecting in my energetic field with you. Um, You know, something that I practice with very few clients because it's sort of advanced is, is subtle body. Um, And it's that noticing of like the sensation below the surface of the skin and also the sensation of your energetic body, which is six feet from your skin. And like noticing, like really, this is like we're paying attention and attunement come in. And again, it's a little bit advanced, but of like feeling what it feels like to have somebody come closer into your space and then push them away and then move mm-hmm. them out of it and be in a free flow around it. Just like really, again, feeling what it feels like to be in someone's energy field and have them in yours. So that would be an exercise that I'd have them do. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. It's taken it even just beyond 
the concept of feeling. And it sounds like penetration is what they're talking about, but it's really expanding feeling to be beyond just that focus. Yeah. Yeah. The other, just one other physical one is, you know, having him penetrate her. It's a man and a woman. I have no idea. Okay. I'm going to assume it's a man and a woman. Um, Maybe having him penetrate her and just holding Mm. without Mm. without moving of just even if he goes soft of just feeling what it feels like inside and also having him inside her of just noticing and again that's really subtle it's really slow it's really soft and for people who are not feeling each other like dial it way back way 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 back and progress Mm. yeah oh I love that practice I I really do enjoy that practice Mm -hmm. and it just feeling the pulsations of the energy as it as it grows bigger oftentimes Mm -hmm. not always but like yeah the ability to move to intensity from subtle without having to do anything yeah um okay second question uh condoms so condoms conversation uh healthiest condoms for women who experience utis um or like for me even just the condom conversation in general i to be honest i don't know what the best condom for for utis is is are there condoms that cause utis this is something i I don't know yeah i'm not quite sure about that one either um so maybe we can even just I'll talk about UTIs. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Specifically for, for women who are with a new partner, right? They, they're with a new partner and, and they are penetrated. A lot of times um, you will get an STI because the body is like, there's unfamiliar territory here and we're going into protection mode. Um, we're shutting this down, right? And so... You can, there are things that you can do like pee after sex or wash after sex. And this, there's still like an introduction, an introduction of someone's um, biome, body mm-hmm. biome into your body that yeah. sometimes doesn't, it's not recognized or not wanted in that time. So it could take two or three times with this new partner before your body gets used to it. So just mm-hmm. naming that. Um, and there are some, some, people that are just not compatible in that way where it's like, I'm sorry, but this isn't going to work out because every time you have sex with your husband, you're going to get a UTI. Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry. Yep. Your body is telling you this isn't compatible mm-hmm. um, and that sucks. Right. But it's, it is the reality for some people. Yeah, it sure is. How can people find more about you? Where can they, where can they go? I know you've got men's retreats coming up. You've got online courses. You've got just so much to offer an amazing blog. Yeah. Thank you. So you can find me on www.thebodyvox.com or Instagram at thebodyvox or Instagram at courtvox. Um, And I do have a lot going on um, between women's retreats at Back to the Body, my men's retreat in September, and also just workshops and online courses coming up middle of this year. So take a look. Yeah. And it's amazing. Highly, highly recommend. Thank you so much, Court. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, 
head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.